Welcome back to Law School Revealed. I'm your host, Shay Smock, coming to you as always from Indiana University's Mauer School of Law in the beautiful Bloomington, Indiana. Today, I have the pleasure of sitting down with Professor Jay, my civil procedure professor. He is very entertaining and animated, even though he teaches what some could consider one of the more boring classes that first-year students are required to take. Although I think it gets a bad rap, it's actually pretty straightforward, which sometimes when you're trying to figure out all of these differences between holdings and precedents and how to distinguish you really appreciate having some straightforward rules that you can apply with elements that are much easier. So Professor Jay has an interesting past and career and sort of take on this whole law school experience and was a joy to sit down with and talk to. I hope you enjoy listening to our conversation as much as I enjoyed having it and having him as a professor. Professors and also lawyers get a kind of rap. Sometimes, you know, they're heralded as being so intelligent and um, people that you can really look up to. But it's pretty rare that following talking about a professor or an attorney, you hear the word cool. And Professor Jay really is cool. And that's one of the things that makes him unique in the legal field. I think you'll know what I mean after you listen to this conversation. We're in your beautiful office. Thank you for taking the time. Are these from all different countries, what you've got? They are. I, I uh, uh, Prior to, to getting tenure, I was so, you know, sort of anxious about it that I, I didn't bother to, uh, uh, to put anything on my wall, including diplomas, because I didn't want administration to think I was getting too comfortable. But, uh, but once I was tenured, I, uh, I kind of went crazy, so that I have my Western European phase where I have all of my antique medicine bottles and signage and all of that, and then uh, around age 40, I went tribal and suddenly acquired all of this African and Asian stuff. Uh, and there's some Native American work here, too, but I, I just am a big fan of, of tribal art, African in particular. But did you, yeah. you travel for conferences? Or I wish I could. I mean, I wish I could say, okay, I, I did this from my, my uh, uh, you know, from, from my trip to the Ivory Coast. No, I, this, I, this is eBay. Uh, and, <laughs> and, and I had a, a colleague who retired recently who put me to shame and who had just acquired all kinds of Africana. And so uh, he sold me his overflow to some extent. So they, it really is more of an appreciation for the art form than mementos of traveling. I wish to God I would be able to, you know, go out and, and do it. And I, I still, I still plan to now There's that I, right? well, not well, and even pre-retirement, I think the thing is that, that when I had little children, I had sort of all these, you know, worries about wherever I go, okay, is there adequate health care and what's going to happen? And now that they're adults and they don't, you know, they're, they're gone, uh, you know, that <laughs> now I'm able to sort of say, oh, let's, you know, let's, you know, my wife and I could you know, actually travel and do some of that. Well, I'm pleased that in your office you've got these to amuse yourself, your ties. Yeah, I feel like <laughs> right. you can handle that workload really yes, well. Yes, exactly. Exactly. They are Civil procedure could be a very, very boring topic. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> you are by far my most entertaining professor. So even this, and actually, the cases we read for your class are almost always Supreme Court cases. So they're usually a lot better written, a lot more interesting than everything. The they can. I mean, too. they can be, and they they run from they run from soup to nuts. There's no question about it. Uh, you know, I. I talk a little bit more about this you know later on in the conversation but one of the things I like teaching I like about civil procedure is that students walk in with low expectations you know I mean they they it, it's got kind of a boring name it sounds kind of tedious and so if you uh, uh, you know 
spend a year with them, and at the end of that, they don't you know lose their will to live. They feel as though they've they've you know we've achieved something, and so so because the expectations are low, it's I can walk out sort of with them feeling better about the process. They only come in knowing nothing. Well, you right. Have a single rule, right? Well, no, that's right, and I think the and not only that, but with torts and crim and contracts, you know, everybody's entered into a landlord-tenant contract. You know, people know enough about the tort system to at least know what's involved. Products liability, they see lawyer advertising on television. With criminal stuff, they get it from movies and, and television shows. With civil procedure, it just sounds dreary and and mysterious and. Uh, uh, you know, and my job is to is to basically make it less mysterious and not so dreary. Yeah. Yeah, and you have. I have several people have told me one of your favorite classes with you. Well, good. Well, that's, I, I always appreciate that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, you don't hear that all the time. A lot of people have no favorite <laughs> class. It's, it's just yeah. Well, that's favorite. Yeah. Class. Then you're in trouble. Which, which is your favorite? None. <laughs> Thank you. None of the above. <laughs> the one that decides the least. <laughs> um, so, the questions I've been kind of asking everybody. Your journey to law school mm-hmm. to become, I'm guessing you wanted, wanted to be a practitioner, and then your journey to IU. Sure. I mean, I, I think that it, it probably, uh, you know, I'd, uh, my ambitions for becoming a lawyer kind of are a reflection of, of, of my upbringing. I don't want to sort of sort of tell that story at length, but long story short, I'm, I'm not... I, I grew up as I wasn't the first kid and first person in my family to go to college, but for all practical purposes, you know, my 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 father died when I was born. My mother got her college degree so that she could teach, and so uh, you know, she essentially raised me and took care of my my uh, my my grandparents who were. Uh, retired, and so the mindset. It was a despite the fact that my mother did have a college degree, it was a, a very blue-collar orientation to the family, and and by that I meant you know very strong work ethic, a commitment to uh, taking on a job that would essentially feed your family. In other words, that whether you are happy with it is secondary to whether it will support you and, and the ones you care about. And so when I went to law school, I, it was something that interested me as of about eighth grade. I, I like, for, for all the reasons that I think eighth graders like it, okay, I, I was argumentative, uh, and so, well, there's something I can do, uh, be a lawyer. Um, beyond, I didn't think too deeply beyond that until I got into college and explored other options, uh, like journalism and, and urban and regional planning and, and a couple of other things, and still came back to law as where, okay, I'm beginning to learn that there's a lot of uh, flexibility to the law and a lot of possibilities, and I had no idea what I wanted to do when I grew up, but I did know that I had this kind of, since from my upbringing, this sort of, okay, what I, the law will provide me with a means to make a living. I uh, wasn't convi- interested in getting rich about it, but I, you know, that was the, the goal. And so I came to law school with that in mind, and teaching was the furthest thing from my mind. I, I came in, as you as you implied, I, I wanted to practice law, uh, wasn't quite sure what that all involved, but you know, I took it one step at a time and, uh, and came, to the, came to law school saying, okay, I'll be open-minded as to where I wind up. And, uh, uh, you know, and kind of choices were sort of made for me. I, I went in and, and uh, I had got landed a job as a semi-law clerk in college for a local law firm. It was a plaintiff's personal injury guy, and he was very colorful, but I really pretty clearly knew I didn't want to do that. 
Uh, he was wonderfully successful, and he was just such a character, but I, thought, ah, I don't want to do that. So uh, for my second summer, I was in a position to go to work for a Wall Street firm, for a large firm. And, uh, you know, and I don't, I mean, I, it, it was, it was an, one of those situations where I did it for some of the wrong reasons and some of the right ones. I mean, the wrong reasons were, okay, it's a high prestige thing, I can get to do it, this is all. Well, I wasn't focusing too much on, well, do, would you like this? Um, but the right reasons, I think, were, okay, it's, it's, it's something to see about. I mean, I, for people who have the opportunity to do it, there are some people who have personality profiles for whom that is exactly what they ought to be doing. And I experimented with it then, and I went back to it after I graduated uh, uh, for a few years, and I don't regret it for a minute. It, you know, it, it helped pay off student loans, it got me the experience I wanted, and it, it really launched my career. So I have no ob- objections to that. But that's, that's kind of the way I, I got into the law school process and, and the sort of the choices I made coming out. And you're apparently pretty good at it. Well, I mean, I think that, that I, when I look at my colleagues here, um, I mean, one of the things I love about this place is that I am surrounded by a group of people who are not just wonderfully collegial, but ridiculously smart. I mean, just crazy smart. Um, and, you know, I don't, I'm not self-deprecating, I mean, I'm self-deprecating, but not to the point of saying that I think I'm stupid, but, but what I bring to the table is more a kind of overachievement that I attribute to my approach to life ever since I was a kid. In other words, I I do not think of myself as being on a par with several of my colleagues who are just so bright that it's just startling. I work extremely hard at what I do, and, and to the extent I succeed, it's because of, of that, not because of sort of I glow in the dark. And, uh, and so in law school, I worked very hard to do well, and in practice, I worked very hard, and, and it worked out. It gave me, it kept doors open for me. And, and so, yeah, so I wound up, uh, I mean, I think that in this, being a law professor kind of requires that you do well in law school. It's, it's, it's you know, they're, they're relatively snooty about the credentials they're looking yeah. for in a law teacher. And, and so uh, uh, you have to do pretty well in order to be in the hunt for a teaching job. And so, you know, when I finally got, after being in practice for six, seven, I guess eight years, and I said, okay, I want to give teaching a shot, uh, it became clear that, that, that was a prerequisite, you know, having, you know, elite credentials at some level, whatever you define them, is part of the deal. Usually a circuit clerkship or something? Yeah, I mean, I think there are, there are, there are that, that achieving high achievement levels in law school, academically high rank in class, law review credential, uh, working for uh, high profile places, uh, Preferably, you know, a judicial clerkship with a district or circuit court judge, and you know, in a perfect world, the Supreme Court. Uh, you know, and uh, and then you know, writing some. And in my case, I had, you know went out there and I, I taught as an adjunct for a couple of years. And you know, that that's the, the the package of credentials that they're really kind of interested in looking at. Uh, and different schools look at different things. At IU, they really are both. Th- being a good teacher is sort of a threshold thing. If you are, if you don't show signs of being a good teacher, you don't have the credentials. If you, if you, you know, you're not presenting in a way that leads gives them a high degree of confidence, you'll be a good educator. You're not going to get in the door here, uh, which isn't true of every place, but it is true here. 
and and you know in addition to that they want to see that you've got a spark and an interest in doing some writing i mean the I mean, I do my best to take what I do outside of class and bring it to play into the classroom. It's not something that's just sort of irrelevant to the classroom experience. I want to tie it in. And they look at that and take that seriously, too. Wait, and I checked out your CV. Mm-hmm. You've been quite prolific. So <laughs> yes, even I've done a lot of writing. A lot of it is just rolling up your sleeves and doing the work, but yeah. it's not like it doesn't take a glow in the dark to get those puffs. Well, yeah, I mean, you, yeah, I mean, that this is. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate you're saying that. Although I think one one of the things that happens is in the early stages, it is a struggle mm-hmm. because one of the things that you do, I mean, like as a law student, or as, and even as an early academic, my thought was, you know, I haven't had an original idea in thirty years. I'm not sure it's going to start now, and and trying to generate that. You know, being a good lawyer, you don't need to have, you know, a a massive new idea. You need to think creatively. You need to create, be a creative problem solver and an effective problem solver. But you don't need to reinvent American law in any particular. And really, being a good academic, you do need to think outside of the box enough to reinvent pieces of the law to sort of reconceptualize law, which is just incredibly exciting. But if you're just getting started. You know, it is a struggle. It is very hard to be doing that. And and for me, you know, if you look at my CV, you'll see, you know, in the early stages, I'm, you know, pooping out one piece a year or every other year. And then I get this sort of accumulated experience. And then at that point, I'm in a position to sort of say, okay, now I'm, now I've kind of got the ball rolling and I'm able to build on that to the point where now I'm you know doing four or five things at once and it's not crazy because I I've kind of developed an area of expertise and you know I I'm part of a larger conversation. Yeah. You went straight from undergrad to law school both at Madison? I did. Okay. I did. Um one of my old favorite professors went there. Bob McChesney got his PhD. Oh my goodness, really? I loved him. Yeah, that's <laughs> yes. great. Um, but uh, my background is similar to yours. My parents didn't go to college. Uh, my grandmother did, or else I would be able to say I was a first-generation college student. But I had never even met an attorney, and that was one of the reasons. I was like, I don't know about law school. And uh, my professor's kind of like, no, go to graduate school if you aren't interested in basically criminal law, which I wasn't. Right. Don't care about jail or punishment. So um, had I done my research, I probably would have made different decisions, but grad school's free and law school's expensive. Yeah, <laughs> no. And that would have been high time for wherever it was so competitive versus... Yeah, I didn't. There were no lawyer friends, no lawyer relatives, and no no lawyer friends in the family for me either. I mean, the one the one thing I will say is that, you know, I am I have mixed feelings about, you know, whether in retrospect it was a good idea for me to go directly from college or whether it would have been better to for me to do something, if not like what you did, go to graduate school, uh, then get out there and work for a couple of years. Because I mean, I've really come to the conclusion that. It's just there are fundamentally different paths in play with that. that. That for me, I was able to hit the ground running very, very easily because I'd been continuously in school. I was, you know, getting back into it was not a thing. Uh, on the other hand, by the time I reached third year, I was, you know, I was on my hands and knees crawling toward the finish line. I was ready to be through with my formal education. And my experience with students in your... Well, you're a little different because you've been in school, but with students who've been out there in the working world, they come back at it with an, a new kind of energy. The downside, which I don't think applies to you because you've been in school, is that for students who've been out there for a couple of years, is it t- the transition into thinking about 
school again takes a little bit longer, and there's a little bit more nervous tension with, can I get back into this? But once they're there, the trajectory is, you know, the burnout rate is a lot a lot lower, a lot less intense that by the, you know, they hang in there by the third year. So I really sort of, I mean, I, I, I really, as students, I like having the mix. I really like having to sort of the energy and enthusiasm of the, of the, the newbies who are fresh out of college and the ones who bring some life experience with them. Uh, I think we can't lose that. And we really need to recruit uh, folks who've been out there a few years because I think they really do add to the classroom experience in, in ways that we shouldn't lose. The same thing with our professors from, you know, Jerdigan, farm boy who did yeah. night school, and, and then we have Foey from East Coaster that went to Hybrid, yeah. and they all do bring such different things, but it's not like one's better than the other. It's we're yeah. getting a mix, too. Yeah, well, I think one of the things, that the, the only thing that defines us uh, is... You know, and, and we've had conversations about this. There are some schools that, that I won't name, I'm not disparaging it, who are basically saying, okay, we're looking for talent. We're looking for scholarly talent, whether that's teaching, whether that's uh, writing. Uh, and we are indifferent to whether they are a good colleague. We are indifferent to whether they are a nice person. We, we basically are saying, if you've got the skills you know, at, that are at the top of the pile, we want you. We've never been that way during the 16 years I've been here, that, that if we interview someone for a job here and our feeling is that they are just not going to be a collegial you know, part of the community, they are not going to get in the door. And the consequence of that is, I mean, you can argue about, well, have we passed on some incredibly gifted people? Probably so. But what it means is, that we have an environment here in which we are, like you say, incredibly different in terms of our backgrounds and experiences. But everybody talks to everybody. Everybody gets along with everybody. The sort of the, the political factions and infighting that everybody hears about in the academy, just we don't have that at the law school. And to me, that makes it a whole lot more pleasant to be here. And I think that it, it, from a student's perspective, it means that because everybody gets along with everybody, I think that it, it, it improves the student experience ultimately, too. And your doors are all always open. Yeah. That is, uh, that's what surprised me the most. You know, I had that at Butler in undergraduate, but I, I didn't expect that from yeah. you. Yeah. And, and I think that particularly for the 1L faculty, we are in some ways... I mean, handpicked is the wrong term, but the deans have always recognized that the first-year faculty are on the front line. They are the first group of student of faculty that the students come in contact with, and are especially interested in making sure that that the student experience is is a really positive one. I mean, as it turns out, because we have kind of a an ethos of of taking teaching seriously. Yeah, you, you I, I struggle to say even in the, in my mind unstated there oh there we have some lousy faculty some bad teachers we, it, it's just not part of our our culture but when it comes to the first year faculty I think we're just there's an, a special commitment to being available at a time when students need a little bit more reassurance need a little bit more hand holding than you know in the upper level and it is different from students who go to big colleges with big classes. I think there's a perception, okay, the law school classes will be relatively large. It'll be impersonal, too, and I think the way we compensate for that is, is open doors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it makes sense, because first years, if you hate it, you either decide to quit or transfer. Yep, and you, you that's right. You need to have people to talk to That's exactly that. right. Um, 
you so you had how many years after university before you started teaching? Um, eight years. Eight years, and you which is on the high side of normal. Career. High side of normal. Well, I just didn't know what I wanted to be when you I grew were looking up. Looking for the right thing. I don't know what I wanted. I mean, that that puts it more gloriously. I mean, I I worked by process of elimination. <laughs> mm-hmm. I went to work for a judge, loved it, but you know that's a one year, uh, uh, that's that's a one year thing, and and then uh, uh, you know after that. Uh, I said, okay, I want to work for the big firm. And the, adva- the reason I went for the big firm was because, okay, it'll keep my doors open, my options open. I didn't think I wanted to stay to make partner, and I was working in Washington, D.C., where my prospects for partnership were limited. This is a, a, a 30 lawyers were thirty lawyers were hired in my year, and one stayed to make partner. So that's, that kind of gives you, and, and I would guess in that number, there were only four or five who would have liked to stay. Uh, you know, the rest of us, myself included, moved on voluntarily before we were shown the door. Um, but that was just, I wanted the experience, the exposure, the kind of engagement that that provided. And then I rolled up my sleeves and said, okay, it's time to become a grown-up. What am I going to do? And I, I went, you know, down Pennsylvania Avenue and went to work for the House Judiciary Committee as counsel to the House Judiciary Committee for a couple of years. Um, and absolutely loved that. Absolutely loved that. Uh, and, uh, uh, and from there... Uh, went into teaching. I mean, so it was kind of one year clerkship, five years, five years practice, two years House Judiciary Committee, and then and then out. That was kind of the way it worked out. Like you, you had a few teaching jobs before here, right? Right, I did. I, I have the 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 odd uh, the, the 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 odd uh, uh, virtue of having worked at. At, at law schools in all four quartiles of the U.S. News Survey, uh, <laughs> cool. and uh, well, it is kind of interesting because I mean, one of the things is that you know we are a snobbish lot, you know, mm-hmm. where we you know we look at rankings, and I think students look at sort of rankings somewhat slavishly sometimes. And you know, I will say that I think this is the best of the bunch uh, of the schools I've I've worked at. I'm not sure that's because it's the most highly ranked. It is, but I'm not sure that's why. In other words, that that I, I really do think that you can that that you know some of the lower ranked schools that I did work were really good schools. I encourage people to go there. Uh, you know, what we bring to the table is sort of a, a mixture of things, of student-centric education and, uh, you know, and just a collegial environment where we just like being around each other, which isn't a function of, of ratings. It's a function of the institution and the strengths we bring. Uh, but, yeah, I worked, at, I worked at, at a bunch of different places and, uh, and ultimately moved laterally here about, you know, around 2000 or 1999 and uh, have never looked back, really, you know. People need to listen when you say, "Are you special?" Because you have experience. <laughs> well, it's kind of. I mean, I think. I mean, it, it actually is true. In other words, that particularly when you know we you know we have faculty meetings that are lousy, the same as anywhere else, and people will walk out rolling their eyes, and I'll be saying, "My gosh, this is nothing like you know the worst faculty meetings I've had at other schools, where people are at each other's throats and they don't have each other's interests at heart, and that just never happens." Here we have tough issues where we have to engage each other and disagree and come to some sort of resolution. But at the end of the day, we walk out friends the way we walked in, and that is not always the case. And right. so, so yeah, having that experience at places that were less friendly, less open, uh, makes, uh, makes, a, makes a big deal of difference, yeah. Are you, you're from Wisconsin originally? I am. Okay. I am. So you've been Madison, Bloomington, before Bloomington, D.C. What was it like moving to Bloomington? What do you think of it? 
Madison was a college town, so I knew what a college town was like. Bloomington is even more of a college town than Madison because Madison has the government, Madison has Rayovac, Madison has Oscar Mayer. It's a legitimate city independently of the university, uh, even though it's university-dominated. This is a true college town, and I am a complete believer. I, I've, drank, I've drunk the Kool-Aid with this place. <laughs> I mean, and the reason for that is that you know, it's a small community, where you know you can get involved in community activities and get to know people, and you see people on the street that you know, which you don't in big cities. Uh, you know, I, we don't lock our door at night, which you don't in big cities. Uh, we, uh, you know, we we raised our children in a circumstance where we'd cut them loose on Kirkwood to wander around as of the time they were tweenies. Mm -hmm which I wouldn't do in a big city, I, so that they acquired a sense of independence that was more akin to what I had growing up, where I was able to go out there, go to the playground on my own, mess around the way I wanted to. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, and then you pair that with you know, certain big league features of this place, like Broadway shows come through, like there's a terrific art museum here, like the music school is, you know, second to Juilliard and oftentimes on a par with Juilliard, such that there are literally hundreds of free performances, classical music performances a year that you can just go down, look at the kiosk, see what's there today, and wander in. Um, that, you know, there are the, the, the kind of, you know, there's, there's six performing orchestras in town because this is a music school and the overflow from the music school, they, they, they join the, the orchestras and they're, they're playing. And so I guess the point is that for a small town with all the small town atmospherics, it's got, you know, big city benefits in, in that way. I mean, I think the, the, the ethnic food scene, you know, I'm not going to say, okay, it's like Chicago, but well, I mean, it is, it's, it, but, but in the sense that, you know, there may be 15 Thai re good Thai restaurants in Chicago, and there are two here, but the reality is there are good Thai restaurants here. There's a good Indian restaurant here. I mean, there's, there's the good Korean restaurants here. There's a good Chinese restaurant here. I mean, it's the, the, the cultural, you know, things are, you know, don't attend cities of this size outside of the, the, outside of the, uh, uh, the college town, you know, environment. So, you know, that's, I think, what, what's, what's going on. Indy's close. Chicago is not that far away. That's right. It's it's a, it's a drive. It's a day drive. It's it's yeah. You it's a, it's a weekend away, and and you're there. Did you guys? Did you raise your kids here? Or did you have them before you moved? Uh, we I had them before I moved, um, and uh, so they came here as like we. I came here to visit in '97 when they were kindergarten and second grade. I came back two years later when it was like second grade and, or third grade and fifth grade, or second grade and fourth grade. We were going through the toughest time with them, uh, where, where it was like they had, they, they, there's an easy time with kids where they're very needy, but they stick around close to home, and it's it's really at that point when they start looking outward, they start developing friendships, you start, you know, schlepping them everywhere. That's the point at which we came here. And uh, so, uh, so I think that's, uh, you know, the, 
which was, you know, from my vantage point, again, it's it, it's it was it wound up being good because the options for I mean, there are a lot of, of education students here, so as a consequence, there are after school opportunities here to choose from, and so when it was like summer programs and stuff, we had, you know, there was the Y, there was Kids City, there was after school programs through the schools themselves, uh, the, and so we were able to sort of pick and choose. They went to theater camp and you know various other things, so uh, it, it made life it made life easier than from where we came. So. Are either of them? Did they go to law school? No, I think one of them, uh, one of them has zero aptitude, and <laughs> and and is an artist, and uh, uh, you know, but but very quickly sort of said this isn't going to happen. Uh, the other one has aptitude. I mean, she really does have a lawyer's mindset. But my wife and I are, we went. My wife and I met in law school. She's a lawyer too. Was a law professor. And I think you know she doesn't want. To, I mean, she didn't want to follow in our footsteps less because she she thought it was a, a less than honorable calling, but because I don't want to compete with that is kind of her. And it, I was sort of reassuring her: you really don't need to. The, the law is a big enough tent. But she became a graphic designer. They're both they're both very artistic critters, uh, and uh, uh, neither one of them decided to to go to to go do law, which you know bothers me zero. <laughs> it, it always surprised me how many attorneys said their kids are attorneys. Well, it is, and it's understandable. You know, I think that, that there are a variety of ways in which, with my younger in particular, that could have happened. Mm-hmm. It could have happened. Okay, so this one's the interesting question, because I think podcasts can be really boring. I'm yeah. trying to add in some music. If <laughs> Civil Procedure had a soundtrack... What do you think? Yeah, you'd you'd indicated that this was this is gonna be. It's a great question. It's ridiculous, but it's great. I mean, because my first impulse, let's come up with something like, like single ladies. Let's do single ladies. I'm like, catchy melody, catchy catchy melody. Love the love the video, and you know, and you know, you, you haven't lived until you've seen me in spandex and heels. I mean, what? I mean, that's oh my god. Um, but but yeah, it'll be a good look for you. It'll be memorable, right? Um, but I think the the. Um, that that you know, the way I'm thinking of it is from student perception, right? If I had to sort of pick a track that would match student perception perception coming in, it would be something like Ravel's Bolero, where it's the sort of plodding kind of da 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 da, da you know, where it's it's and it and the best you can hope for is it kind of crescendos at the end because that's when the stress of exams come to but it's, but it's deliberate, dry and plodding. And my job, I think, is is to basically Convert it from something like that. I mean, to me, if I had to, if I had to, to if I had to sound tra- to, to score this, it would be uh, to Eminem's "Lose Yourself" because I think that what what really I'm looking for is look. We are talking about a level of complexity which is mirrored by the lyric, the complexity of the lyric, with a drive and sense of urgency. That when you're a lawyer trying to learn how to litigate in the other classes, you are learning about torts and contracts and so forth. But recognize that when a client walks in the door, the worst thing that has ever happened in their lives has happened. They are crippled physically, financially, their rights have been violated. And you as a lawyer you know, can study their substantive law claims, but then you have to begin the process of litigating that claim. And it's kind of like you know, being at the base of an expressway and hitting the gas and going onto a busy highway, you need to know what you're doing, and you have one shot 
uh, and you've got to do it right, and it's an opportunity. I mean, it really is. I mean, I'm sort of parroting a bit of the Eminem lyric, but it is, you know, that it's stressful, it's exciting, uh, the stakes are high, you've got one shot to get it right for your client, and not everyone is built for that. One moment. Did you capture Just let it slip. Yo. His palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy. There's vomit on his sweater already. Mom's spaghetti, he's nervous, but on the surface he looks calm and ready to drop palms. But he keeps on forgetting what he wrote down. The whole crowd goes so loud, he opens his mouth, but the words won't come out. He's choking how? Everybody's choking now. The clock's run out. And Time's up. The importance of procedure comes out in that process. In other words, that that unless you have rules that you understand for how you enforce rights. The fact that you have rights are meaningless unless you can be effective at enforcing them for your clients, getting out there and advocating them for their clients. And so to me, it's a matter of, you know, my job is to say it's not plotting, it's not dry, that, that, that justice is at stake here, access to justice is at stake. And so, you know, you've got that one shot over and over again. It means it's not a stress-free environment to litigate, to, to learn the procedure that gets you from point A to point B. But it's bloody important. And it's bloody exhilarating if you know how to do it right. Well, I can see why Civ Pro appeals to you then, because it's not, you can be the most brilliant attorney ever, but if you didn't put in the work to make sure you understand those rules, you're not going to get it. That's right. And that's right. And I think people who understand the substance very well can still be very bad mm -hmm. at. At being at being litigators, that you have to be, you know, you have to be willing to roll up your sleeves and work within the context of the process, and that, you know, and so anyone who litigates will, make, you know, you can say you're a constitutional litigator or a tort litigator or a contracts litigator, and so you have subspecialties in those substantive areas, but every one of those people needs to know procedure, and and I think one of the, that's one of the reasons that students come back after their first year and sort of. Tongue in cheek, to some extent, is a wow. I was surprised to learn this is actually relevant. Uh, that the legal writing and civil procedure are the two areas where they most frequently come back after their first year and say, "Yeah, I had to use this," uh, because regardless of the context in which you're litigating, procedure matters. And uh, you know, and it and it and it and it works on a schedule, which is part of the the pressure that goes that goes with it. Some of it is you have a lot of time, and other parts it's oh my goodness. Yes, yes, exactly, <laughs> Hours no, exa exactly, today. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. So if I would have come to you six months ago, I might want to go to law school. This is when I was making that decision. I don't know. Maybe I'll take the Juno set. <laughs> yeah. What would you say? Well, you know, I think that the first thing I would say is I'd have a conversation with you about whether you really want to go to law school. In other words, that I think that in this market, you know. Let me back up. When I was a pup, it was a very viable thing to say, well, I'm an English major. I don't know what the hell I want to do when I grow up. Let me go to law school because I'll inevitably, you know, I can get jobs no matter what. You know, the market is tighter now. Uh, that I think that going to law school for the wrong reasons, namely because I don't know what else I'm going to do, doesn't equip you with the motivation and drive you need to succeed or to ensure success. That you need, you that my view is think about why you want to be a lawyer and if it's because you see dollar bill signs in your eyes not a good enough reason uh, you know I don't like getting into this conversation about well you know I could make more money coming out of college and doing something well that's beside the point in other words you want to be if you want to be a lawyer you ought to be a lawyer because I want to do what lawyers do I want to represent people in settings where I can help them 
I want to help people in you know, who have civil rights problems, who have criminal law problems, who have tort problems. I, you know, I want to go work for the government and do public service. That's what I burn to do, you know. And if you burn to do it, you, you know, work hard and you'll find your niche. But that's different than saying, okay, I, I want to have it be an economically sensible choice, and so what I'm going to do is, is do, you know, I'm going to cost out the three years of life. That, that is, you know... That you begin with the proposition, come here for the right reasons. Come here because law is something that you really do want to do. And if you're uncertain about it, having conversations before you take the plunge is 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 better than showing up and finding out, eh, I don't like this. Uh, that's that's it's the, the the wrong time to make the choice. You know, certainly people who are pretty confident that they will like it sometimes decide that they don't once they're here. But they are few and far between. I mean, I, you know, I, everyone knows some people who say, I was, you know, really disappointed. I, I'm, I'm, I'm alienated by my experience. I mean, I don't, there are a couple of people here who like that every year, and I, I tend to suspect they came here without asking the right questions. Um, but setting them to one side, I think we need to keep those folks to a minimum. And, and so, so, uh, you know, to me, it's it's it is a helping profession in which, you know, the question is, do you want to roll up your sleeves and and, and engage yourself in what is intellectually some pretty interesting stuff on behalf of of you know people in different walks of life? And if the answer is yeah, I want to give that a go, that's when I think you you ought to explore it further. No one on their deathbed ever said, oh, I just wish I would have made more money. Like that's, <laughs> that's right. Such a that's what matters when you know right. what really... Right. And, 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 you know, I think that it is true that it is, you know, not everyone can find a job where they can say, I love what I do. And I'm not suggesting that every lawyer feels that way. And I think some lawyers... Uh, you know, walk into it and say, only if, if I knew now what I if I knew then what I know now, I'd do things differently. I mean, one of the one of the ambitions we have for our legal professions curriculum is to do everything we can to equip students in the first year with information about their choices, so that they don't make bad choices going in. You know, and there are some cynics who say, well, right now law school is a bad choice. Well, I, you know, I think that if you go in for the wrong reasons, it is a bad choice. But I am among those who really do believe that if you're committed to it for the right reasons and you don't go in with any illusions that a job will simply fall in your lap, that it's going to take some work, and that you need to recognize that your first job out may not be, you know, your ideal one, that it may take two or three steps, I think you're okay. And I've, I've had, a, you know, six, eight jobs uh, after law school, uh, you know, and and so I'm walking, you know, walking, talking billboard for the proposition that you can get there from here through a series of steps if you're energetic enough about it. Yeah, I think it's amusing. People are like, oh, it's not a good time to go to law school because it, it dropped from like 100% job placement to 75 to 80%. When I graduated, it was 10%. <laughs> oh, <laughs> this well, yeah. This is a massive thing. Yeah. Things are good here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it seems like the law school isn't, and it, law schools aren't in that much trouble. Well, you know, I think it, it, it I mean, the, I don't, I think it really depends on, I mean, it, it, it's, a, it's a complicated time. And I'm not implying that, that it's, that, you know, jobs are, are, are easy to get. I'm, I guess I'm just saying that, that uh, no one should be walking in now with the sense that, okay, I go to law school and I'll just open my mouth and a job will plop right. in it. Uh, that, that, so I'm not going to downplay the fact that, that job hunting is, is important for us to help you with. It's important for you to be sort of mindful of. But I think that if you go in with the right motivation and with the right reasons and, and a commitment to do well, uh, I think that you know at a place like IU, it, it'll work out for you. 
just need to meet people. Yeah, that yeah. Well, that's true. Uh, well, thank you so much for sitting down with me. My You're pleasure. Very enjoyable. I knew you'd be just as entertaining as you are in class. Well, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate your saying so. I hope you enjoyed listening to the conversation with Professor Jay. Thank you again for listening to Law School Revealed. And until next time. Oh,